0: You're listening to Vatican Radio. In this week's edition of Gospel Truth, the late Jill Bevilacqua and Sean Patrick Lovett bring us readings and reflections from the Gospel of St. Luke, Chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, of the fourth Sunday of Advent.
1: The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Upon arriving, the angel said to her, Rejoice, O highly-favored daughter, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. She was deeply troubled by his words and wondered what his greeting meant. The angel went on to say to her, Do not fear, Mary. You have found favor with God. You shall conceive and bear a son and give him the name Jesus. Great will be his dignity, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David his father. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and his reign will be without end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know man? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Hence, the holy offspring to be born will be called Son of God. Know that Elizabeth, your kinswoman, has conceived a son in her old age. She, who was thought to be sterile, is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary said, I am the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be done to me as you say. With that, the angel left her.
0: It's hard to think of another gospel episode which has been more frequently or more lovingly represented by poets and painters than the Annunciation. But then we're talking of the Annunciation of the most important event the world has ever known. Hardly to be called merely an episode either. The word seems to diminish the event. This unique happening and the modern word is by far more apt, was not an isolated incident. It happened in our dimension, in time, and it had been foretold by Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. The Annunciation then is part of a story, a story of salvation. But it's so momentous that it is also a story in itself, And of the four evangelists, it's Luke, that master among storytellers, who tells it. Like all good stories, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's neither too long nor too short. Every word has been weighed carefully. There is not one too many. And how else could it be? For there were no witnesses of the Annunciation. Luke then could not have written his account, which though a story is not fiction, unless he had heard it from the chief protagonist, Mary herself. And she would not have been one for small talk. She would have wasted no words. The event which shaped her life must have been carved in her memory down to the tiniest detail. But she, in Luke's words, gives only the essentials. It has been left to the centuries to fill in the rest. Here's how one poet, the German Rainer Maria Rilke, imagines the encounter of gabriel and mary in two separate poems in the first he has given the angel these words
1: you are not nearer god than we he's far from everyone and yet your hands most wonderfully reveal his benison From woman's sleeves, none ever grew so ripe, so shimmeringly. I am the day, I am the dew, you, lady, are the tree. Pardon, now my long journey's done. I had forgot to say what he who sat as in the sun, grand in his gold array, told me to tell you. Pensive one, space has bewildered me. I am the start of what's begun, you, lady, are the tree. I spread my wings out wide and rose, the space around grew less, your little house quite overflows with my abundant dress, but still you keep your solitude and hardly notice me. I am but a breeze within the wood, you, lady, are the tree.
0: Scholars and theologians may balk at the opening lines and at the idea that Gabriel might be so bewildered as to forget his message. They must allow some poetic licence. In the second poem, the writer begins by giving us Mary's point of view. And then, well, let's listen.
1: The angel's entrance, you must realize, was not what frightened her. The surprise he gave her by his coming was no more than sun or moonbeams stirring on the floor would give another. She had long since grown used to the form that angels were, descending. Never imagining this coming down was hard for them. Oh, it's past comprehending how pure she was. Did not one day a hind that rested in a wood, watchfully staring, feel her deep influence? And did it not conceive the unicorn, then, without pairing, the pure beast, beast which light begot? No, not to see him enter, but to find the youthful angel's countenance inclined so near to her that when he looked and she looked up at him, their looks so merged in one The world outside grew vacant suddenly, and all things being seen, endured, and done were crowded into them. Just she and he. I and its pasture. Vision and its view. Here, at this point, and at this point alone. See, this arouses fear. Such fear both knew. Then he sang out and made his tidings known.
0: And now let's look at the place where this historic meeting is believed to have happened. Here's what we read in today's guidebook.
1: On the northern outskirts of downtown Nazareth is a fountain, still used by the inhabitants of the town. Tradition tells that by the fountain, the angel Gabriel first appeared to Mary while she was drawing water. From here, Mary went to her home, where the Annunciation took place.
0: It all sounds so matter-of-fact, doesn't it? But it was the apocryphal Gospels that started the tradition of this belief. And when the Crusaders came, they built a church to Gabriel on the spot. The guidebook goes on.
1: Over it stands the present-day Greek Orthodox Church, Built in 1769, remnants of the Crusader Church can be seen in the crypt. The water of the Fountain of Mary inside the crypt is in fact conveyed into the church from a nearby spring further uphill. From here, the water is
0: piped to a fountain. And another guidebook has a colour photograph of the crypt with the fountain, and confirms that it is the only one existing in the old town of Nazareth. Traveller H.V. Morton wrote in the 30s.
1: One has shown all kinds of holy places in Nazareth, but perhaps the only one that really convinces is the Virgin's Fountain. This is, and ever has been, the only water supply of Nazareth. The stream gushes out of the mountain and runs through a conduit to a public fountain, where women fill petrol tins with water all day long. The Greeks have built a church above the source of this spring, and when you go down into the darkness of this sanctuary, you can hear the water bubbling up from the rock. This must be the spring
0: from which the Virgin Mary drew water. Significantly, our traveller does not touch on the subject of where Gabriel came to Mary. But the traveller of today will not be able to miss the Basilica of the Annunciation. Our guidebook proclaims...
1: The church, located in the centre of Nazareth is a modern structure built between 1955 and 1969 over the ruins of Byzantine and Crusader churches. It's easily recognised by its high dome, which makes it the most prominent structure in the city.
0: And Gabriel wouldn't have been able to miss it either, no doubt. But according to legend, Mary's house is no longer in Nazareth. For in the year 1291, it was carried by angels to Dalmatia and three years later to Loreto, on the Adriatic coast. On April the 12th, 1916, the Congregation of Rites issued a decree stating that this house was the home of the Blessed Virgin, consecrated by the Divine Mysteries. And today it's one of the most celebrated of Marian shrines. The house itself, though enclosed in a church, is tiny, 36 feet by 17, and on the altar is a black figure of the Virgin and Child in cedar, said to be the first work of St. Luke. When I visited Loreto years ago, the place was thronged. We were hustled round the altar and out of the church at top speed. This is my abiding memory of Mary's house. But let's return to the Gospel and its content. The first word Gabriel spoke to Mary has usually been rendered as Hail, which is the first word of the Hail Mary, also known as the Angelic Salutation. And in a homily attributed to Gregory of Nyssa, 4th century doctor of the church, The translation I have reads thus.
1: The angel comes to Mary and entering says, Hail, O full of grace. In an instant he exalts the maiden and treats her as a woman, for she has become the mother of the Lord.
0: But further on we find these words.
1: For calamity is at an end. Corruption is dissolved. All sadness now has ceased. Joy has flourished. The glad tidings of the prophets have come to pass.
0: And here seems to be the point, joy, for the angel's greeting to Mary was expressed in a word normally used in Greek at the time, caere, later translated to the Latin ave. And Luke, we remember, was writing in Greek. The Greek word meant joy, or as today's gospel version has it, rejoice. And this seems to be the theme in these lines from the Sibylline Oracles, no connection with Virgil's Sibyl. But 14 books of didactic poetry in Greek hexameters dating from the second century.
1: Thus spoke the archangel to the maiden Receive, O Virgin, the Lord in your immaculate womb. At these words, the Lord gave grace to her who was to be forever virgin. She, hearing these words, was filled with wonder and with dread. In stillness she stood, trembling, bewildered, as one lost, and while her heart did throb to hear the wondrous news. Then jumped her heart with joy to find comfort in those words. She smiled with blushing cheek, delighting in her joy, heart filled with gentle modesty, and courage came again and soared the word within her womb.
0: Immediately after his first word, Gabriel says, O highly favoured daughter. The Jerusalem Bible reads, Rejoice, so highly favoured. While the Revised Standard Version and another older translation have, Hail, full of grace. Scholars have interpreted the Greek word charis differently. Since St. Paul, we read, the word has meant sanctifying grace, but it might, according to one, have meant privilege. A present-day scholar writes, full of grace, literally, filled with grace, by God himself, so as to be the mother of his son. St. Augustine puts it charmingly.
1: Who are you that, with such faith, have conceived and soon is to become a mother? The one who created you will be born in you. Whence came to you such great goodness? You are virgin, you are holy. Much it is you have merited, or better, much it is you have received. It seems an indiscretion that I question thus the Virgin, and so disturb her reserve. But the Virgin, blushing yet to me, replies, You ask whence came to me such goodness? Listen to the angel's greeting, and believe in the salvation which comes from my womb. Believe in him in whom I have believed.
0: In the innumerable paintings of the scene of the Annunciation, there's almost always a lily, shown either between Mary and the angel, or in Gabriel's hand. But in a poem for Lady Day, March the 25th, an English writer exclaims, Where did Gabriel get a lily in the month of March? For in England, the Madonna lily blooms in summer. And gardener Vita Sackville-West adds... Wherever that bright archangel found his
2: lily, it was certainly not in the more ambitious sort of garden. It prefers the humbler home. There is an old tradition that the Madonna lily frove best in cottage gardens because the housewife was in the habit of chucking out her pail of soap suds all over the flowerbed.
0: The ceiling of the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth, we read, has been fashioned in the shape of a lily. Whether Gabriel actually appeared visibly to Mary, Luke does not say, only he came to her, or being come in, or he went in, and upon arriving. In the book of Daniel, Gabriel is described like this.
1: His body was clear as topaz. His face shone like lightning. His eyes were like burning lamps. His arms and legs had the gleam of bronze. And when he spoke... It was like the voice of a multitude.
0: Writing in 1912, Rupert Brooke ended his poem, Mary and Gabriel, this way.
1: The great wings were spread, showering glory on the fields and fire. The whole air singing bore him up and higher, unswerving, unreluctant. Soon he shone a gold speck in the gold skies Then was gone The air was colder and grey She stood alone
0: Modern poet Elizabeth Jennings Has imagined the aftermath of the Annunciation Nothing will ease the pain to come Though now she sits in
2: ecstasy and lets it have its way with her. The angel's shadow in the room is lightly lifted, as if he had never terrified her there. The furniture again returns to its old simple state. She can take comfort from the things she knows, though in her heart new loving burns, something she never gave to man or God before. And this God grows, most like a man. She wonders how to pray at all, What thanks to give, and whom to give them to? Alone to all men's eyes I now must go, she thinks, and by myself must live with a strange child that is my own. So from her ecstasy she moves and turns to human things at last, announcing angels set aside. It is a human child she loves, though a god stirs beneath her breast, and great salvations grip her side.